and welcome to the Edu Switchboard podcast. I'm your host, Jana Parker, licensed educational psychologist, wellness and executive function coach, and parent consultant. Visit jplep.com to become a member of my community or to access my assessment or coaching services. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. Today, I talk with Lexi Burns, who's the head of NeuroPlay Academics. They do cognitive training, they do executive function coaching, and all kinds of academic support. She has a number of specialists working for her, and all of their services right now are virtual, so they can really be done for anyone, anywhere, of any age, living anywhere, really. So listen in. She's like my long-lost sister, a kindred spirit. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I think we're going to be friends forever. So have a good time. We sure did, and thanks for listening. No, I've never talked to you in person. This is really great. Like I've talked to you, I feel like I've talked to you multiple times on the phone and yeah. really haven't gotten to talk to you in person. I don't know how that has happened, but yeah. I guess it's like, you know, when you do all those phone calls for like consults or to collaborate with students and things like that, it's not like you go and meet and do it over coffee. It's like a professional phone call. So it's yeah. never been something where we actually get to like hang out. <laughs> I know. Well, that's a bummer. We'll have to change that. <laughs> totally. Like, I feel like it's interesting with the pandemic, but it's like, you know, we're so connected and it's so easy to just be like, oh, you want to Zoom? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's really easy go-to, but at the same time, it's so disconnected and not as personal as it used to be. So Yeah, yeah. It is definitely like creating more of an ability to connect virtually like this. So I actually feel like I've kind of talked to more people than I might have because making a plan to go have coffee is harder, but that's really what I'd prefer to do. I mean, I'd prefer to get to know people through coffee and stuff, but I feel like I've gotten to know you just because we've worked with a number of families together. And so we've yeah. just gotten to do that. So I know and it's pretty cool. Cause like when I take, um, you know, like consult phone calls and things like that, it's usually like just a normal phone call, but I'm like, Oh, like, do you want to set up a consult and we can zoom for a few minutes? And it's like this more face-to-face kind of interaction. So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool, but yeah. Yeah, that's been nice too. And that's kind of one of the, I guess that's how I got this idea to just start interviewing the people that I typically connect with in my practice, because then I can share these kinds of conversations with families who just kind of want, I just feel like it's like a more personal touch, you know, to get to know someone a little bit before you actually like jump in to work with them or make that phone call because making the phone call sometimes is hard you know you don't know if you're calling the right person I mean I end up talking to quite a few families and not even ever like ending up working with them but like they've made that phone call and I feel like okay you've made this phone call and even if I'm not the person who is going to end up working with you like I have to help them get to the next person you know yes yeah it's like all the resources like okay are you feeling like assessment at this point? Cause here's what I'm hearing you say. And like, I can give you some recommendations for this or like, do you feel like you want to contact the school first? And like, let's take it as you're kind of trying to figure these things out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, puzzling things together. And yeah, that's how a lot of the consults go. But since I've transitioned into a lot of the academic side, it's been a little bit more straightforward. Cause a lot of parents are like, 
while they're struggling with, you know, math or history or, um, you know, comprehension with things like, you know, do you have a reading specialist? And that's kind of straightforward. Like, okay, great. Like, have they had any word in Gillingham or lips or whatever the program is? And then you can kind of just like pair them up and stuff. So that's been pretty cool. It's just more of the initial consult of like, hey, what are those underlying cognitive skills that's contributing to their particular profile, right? Yeah. And then like, like, have you had an assessment? Are you waffling between something? Like, how can we best direct you next? So. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue. I want to talk about, um, I want to, because I feel like your practice has shifted mm-hmm. over the past, you know, since I learned about you and what you were doing prior to what you've kind of gotten into now. So yeah. Just so, so tell me about that process, because I think it will be interesting for families to hear like that process that you've gone through and where you've come from. And now, like who comes to you now and what, yeah. what does your team do? Exactly. And like, um, so when I very first started out, it was really heavy for like neurofeedback. Um, and you know, a lot of it was just pure cognitive. And what I found is that, um, a lot of people, when they just want to do neurofeedback, you miss an entire piece. And I, I'm the type of person that I love to be able to work collaboratively and like have a big picture over stuff. And so, um, I was always missing the academic side and like, I just wanted to be much more involved with the school and the learning specialists and to have, you know, quote unquote tutors myself, myself, like they're more like specialists but that I was able to kind of coordinate with everybody, right? Okay, um, hold on one sec. I want to know, go, yes. And I want to know how you even got into doing neurofeedback and like, how did, how did that piece happen? That first piece? Because I'm just interested. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I used to work at the Abbey Neuropsychology Clinic in Palo Alto for a couple of years. And then um, they did a ton of neurofeedback up there. I saw it as like really cool. My background is actually, I have a master's in neuroscience and neuropsychology. And I was assistant psychologist for a few years. And so um, I was always very interested in more of like the brain context to things. Um, And so I really liked that aspect. Uh, I just found that in the field, it really just clearly transitioned over to academics because they were like, you know, my child can't focus and they need support with math. And I'm like, not neurofeedback. So like, you know what I mean? It just became this situation where it's like, you could spend $150 on neurofeedback or two, $400. um, And, you know, you can actually focus it to help the kiddo be more receptive to learning math or get to go over some of those hurdles. Um, But it's not teaching them the tools and the actual educational therapy side of things. Right. I love that you're saying that. Yeah. Because I've always, you know, parents ask me like, you know, about neurofeedback, about CogMed, about things that will help train their brain. Right. Yes. And I'm always like, yes. And you, Mm -hmm. but, but then you have to learn how to use that in context. Right. Yes. and, and so I, I love that you're saying this. Yeah. Cause I'm never like, oh, I would only recommend that. I would usually recommend like oh. some kind of joint. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So yeah. And like neurofeedback okay, is fabulous. Like I loved neurofeedback. I just found that for my personality, I love being involved. I love having a conversation with parents and like progress and, 
you know, being able to be in touch with the schools and the learning specialists and all working collaboratively to be like, okay, so this is what's happening during the day. This is what's happening at home. Like, let's make sure that we can segment this really well. And like, you know, if the kiddo is struggling with math, well, what supports are being done at school? How can we actually then at home give them certain tools or, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like uh, scrapbooking for math as an actual math tool was a really fun project that I did with kids over the summer, um, which is like totally random, but yeah. um, they can actually use this math scrapbook as a reference tool. And That's so- awesome. Right. It's just like all these different kind of creative ways that you're coming up with how kids just learn so individually. And I love the troubleshooting and I love having multiple brains on the team in order to be like, hey, like this is really working or this isn't working. I have behaviorists on my team who will be like, um, you know, maybe one of my Orton Gillingham tutors are like, hey, like they're having some issues. Um, they're really kind of like, you know, having some difficulties with uh, behavior during the session. And so they'll collaborate and be like, okay, let's like, I'll make you a chart and like, let's figure this out. It's so nice to be on a team where we're literally all working to have the best benefit for the kid. And that's not something I've ever gotten to do before. And it's something I just saw a huge demand for. And I don't know many places that do it the way that we do, which is why I've like, I've had so much fun with it for the past few years. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how, you know, so you made this transition into kind of having a more team collaborative approach. And so how did you build your team and what do you, you know, how do you guys work and what do you work on? Yeah. Um, so when I started it um, a couple of years ago, just branching out to the academics, it really became a lot of the schools were like, Hey, like, can you do executive function support, right? With um, time management, the kiddo's not turning in any of their work or, um, you know, they're getting all Ds, what can we do? And so just being able to uh, figure out supports at home and then seeing if there's any learning differences or, um, you know, like let's say that they had some issues with math and that's why they were avoiding all the work. So then just pairing them with an executive function coach and then also a math specialist and they can work in tandem. So the executive function coach can be like, hey, like this, this, this on an agenda sheet that the math specialist is also on and the parents. So everybody knows what the kiddo is supposed to be doing. And that's how you have 100% success because it's out in the open, right? And so that everybody's working collaboratively for the student. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. I love that. Okay, so how who who do you have on your team? What kind of specialists do you have? Um, right now, so I've got uh, two ABA uh, therapists. Um, they both have um, masters in psychology as well as um, a masters in special education and uh, masters in education. Um, and then uh, they all have obviously specialists, like kind of specialties that they work with. So uh, Orton Gillingham, Linda Moodbell, Wilson, um, handcrafting different like spelling programs and things like that. Um, so they all have their kind of area of interest as well. Um, so like for the psychology, um, some of my specialists will incorporate more of the cognitive aspect. So if I have a kiddo who might have a, a lower IQ or really struggling, let's say with processing speed or memory, right? We're going to approach the academics 
a bit differently. And so just taking that into consideration and making sure that the background of the specialist that I pair up the student with is actually able to kind of help the kiddo grow in those areas as well as getting their academics done. Yeah. So, yeah. Who are the parents who should contact you and like, what's your like niche age group? Um, if, is there one, um, you know, when, when is a parent, what, what's your like best fit parent? Like when should they be calling you? Um, so I have a range. Um, so like I have specialists who predominantly will just do reading, right? Spelling and writing. And so that's usually the K through third. Okay. And then um, we'll have like the comprehension specialists. Um, and so that's kind of depending on the age. Um, that's a wider range. Um, and then we have specialists that work with adults and college kiddos. So like, and I have my own like 25 students that I just myself see. Um, and so, you know, it is a large range. Like the youngest I have currently is six. And then the oldest I have is like in their fifties. So, wow, yeah. Um, but I also don't personally do like the reading specialist area, right? I have the people who do it all day long. That's their area. Um, so I just kind of will target whatever the parents or the schools that call me specifically saying, Hey, like, you know, can you observe this kiddo for us? Or, um, we're seeing something going on, you know, parents are not sure, like, would you mind just popping in or, you know, kind of having a conversation, um, and then we'll figure it out. So, um, and see what makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you work with adults on? Is it more executive function? Yeah. 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 There's really nothing else. There's no, um, all the academic supports, especially for adults. I'm like, look, like if you're going to Santa Clara university or somewhere else, just you know, use the resources at the university for tutoring or for some kind of support. Yeah. Um, and as much as you can do through the school, I feel like is really important, um, not just as an adult, um, but as a college student so that they're utilizing the resources that are, are available to them as well as the younger grades because, um, you know, tutoring can be very expensive, right? And so if you can do it through the school, that is really great. And then everything else outside of that is very helpful, especially on the cognitive side, especially if there's a learning difference, right? And that's outside of the realm of the school. Yeah. But, you know, I just, every family is different and they have to do what is best for them. Mm -hmm. So we take all of the pieces of information that they give us and we just help them kind of figure out, you know, what makes the most sense. So. Yeah, yeah. If someone calls your clinic, do they talk to you? Are you the person mm -hmm. they get on the phone? Yeah. Yeah. And you kind it's of me. route them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I always do a consult, no matter even if they're just going straight to the reading specialist or things like that, I like to be able to speak to them and then chat with the school if they're fine with it, see what kind of supports are available, what the teachers are seeing, and then just kind of take it from there. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are you seeing happening over? this whole distance learning thing, like what has changed, you know, <laughs> what are you seeing a lot of, what's the biggest kind of like pain points? It's really difficult. And I've had so many kids that have had a lot of mental health issues and a lot of difficult, difficult situations who in a typical school setting, it wouldn't even 
be on the radar, right? And like parents are having to, you know, move to medication or upping dosages. Um, they're having to have somebody come and be able to sit with the student. Um, and it is kind of insane because we are asking elementary and middle schoolers to become independent learners to right. sit, stay, and focus for like 90 minutes at a time. And I'm right. like, I am not sure I can focus for that amount of time. And most parents are like, I know. It's like, it's just this dynamic of like, okay, let's work with the teachers and let's set goals, set limits. I mean, I have things like, you know, micro calendars and agendas and behavior charts and mindful charts and all kinds of resources that we use with the schools um, to kind of make it so that the kiddo has checks and bounds, knows the expectations, right? Um, and then for themselves are becoming a little bit more driven of like, I need to do this because, right? So otherwise you're going to get a student who's just muting it and turning off the video and just watching videos the whole time. So that is a huge, huge struggle. And I've had a lot of parents who um, are saying that their students are video gaming more right now. And I do feel like that's tough, right? Because at this moment in time, it is a social outlet. It's a way for kids to be able to talk to each other, to chat and to collaborate on something. But I do think that, you know, there are limits that should be put in place for video gaming every day. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finding even just watching my own kids, like I know that in a classroom we were, would be at school especially in the elementary grades, there's a lot of planning that teachers do to have kids getting up and moving and, and breaking up the, yes. the, the day, right? I mean, they only spend like eight minutes on the carpet, 15 minutes at the desk, eight minutes on the carpet. You know, like, like there are so yeah. many like movement opportunities just in the classroom. And now we're asking kids to just sit at the computer and watch. And then when they have these breaks and they're supposed to go off and do their own stuff, they're not really like individually motivated to get up and go do something different, right? I mean, it's rare that one of my sons will come out of the room and be like, I want to go on a walk, you know? <laughs> and we're working too. So it's like, you know, we're not thinking like, oh, let, let me take you on a walk, you know? Yeah. But when they do come out, I'm like, yes, okay, drop everything, uh, go on a walk. But it's, but it's also, you know, it, they, they would rather just continue to sit there and like, it's so much easier to just switch to a game on their Chromebook when they're done doing their work or did they do their work yes. at all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, just, yeah it, it's really hard. They're not getting up. Like they don't have that internal, like that, like arousal reset that like mm -hmm. just getting up and moving and getting your eyes off of a screen and then coming back to it or go, coming back to a new setting, whether it's on the floor, at your desk, on your foot, wherever, outside, recess. I mean, yeah. they don't, they're, they're not getting that anymore. I think it's really a I know. It is. And like, if you think about it, um, kind of looking at the screen and things like that is a bit of a stimulation to some extent, right? And oh, so yeah. a lot of kids with any kind of sensory processing or with ADHD, it can flip it one way or the other, right? So it's, it's exacerbating things or it is kind of causing kiddos to become a little bit more lethargic. And so that's definitely in play. Um, and I think that, 
you know, that's why we see some families doing homeschool and things like that as well. Um, and just kind of doing, you know, whatever they can to help support their students. Um, the thing that I feel like is really tough on some kids in particular is, um, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but like, um, some of the schools have gone back to hybrid. So there's kids who are physically in school and then there's the kids who are watching from home. And I I've haven't seen it yet. I, I, the only ones I know are like almost starting, but haven't yet. So yeah, tell me what, how's um, that going? It's been really tough. And I, I mean, for neurotypical kids, I can't say one way or the other, just because I only work with kiddos with learning differences um, who are struggle in some kind of way. Right. Um, and the thing is, it's really difficult for those kids to just be like, we're in the background almost. And that's really, I think, tough. Um, and so I've had a lot of kids really struggle when that started happening a couple weeks ago. Um, and it feels like stability is so important for kids. And there has been a lot of unstableness and I've seen a lot of ups and downs emotionally um, just within the past month from so many different ages. And so I don't like, doesn't matter the school, um, just if you're changing the expectations, everything is just changing and it's scary and it's, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's been really hard on kids. And I think that I think has been really amazing is, um, pretty much every single parent has been like, this is really difficult. Like they just get it. And they've just been like, let's just figure out whatever we need to do to support the kids. Like, so I feel like a lot of parents have just been like, whatever we need to do to like work with the school, however we, if we need to, you know, be at home, whatever the thing is. So yeah. Yeah. That's been really amazing for the kids to have that sense of stability. So are there particular things that you suggest, like kind of like some little tools that you find yourself kind of constantly suggesting to families of like things to do? To um, for like their kind of like workspace and organization. Yeah. And like yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I usually tell parents to like take a picture of the kid's workspace and like update it every once in a while. And let me know how things are going. Um, because you know, we want, everything has a home. So you want things to have like a to-do and a completed section. And a lot of schools are also doing like papers or workbooks or stuff. Um, and so it's like, you gotta kind of keep track of all of that. And now your school copy is no longer existent and it's at home. And so um, just juggling that piece of thing, uh, things it's like, uh, you know, helping troubleshoot that aspect. And then the, uh, agenda, we have a standardized kind of agenda that we use here. Um, it's been for, uh, an online kind of word doc. I used to actually print out agenda books, um, last year. And then, uh, this year it's now completely online, which is kind of nice that it's digitized because I just have to add everybody's email to it and we can all access it. So it's been cool. But um, other than that, you know, uh, there's a lot of different apps, a lot of apps that you can use to help your kiddos if they have dysgraphia or they're having issues actually writing out all their work. Um, And one of the things I've consistently noticed is that some of the older laptops have a like very difficult time and are super glitchy with Zoom. So I have been recommending if available, um, to use an iPad or something that's a little bit more user-friendly because that cuts down on 
quite a bit of processing speed time for some kids of like, I go to my app versus like, I open Safari, Safari's not working. I check my internet. Like it's just like (laughs) troubleshooting situation. And so I'm just like, if we can minimize something, right? It's gonna help the kid feel so much less pressure in the classroom when the teacher's like, okay, great. Like, you know, open up Canvas or open up Schoology and then make sure you submit to Chobi or whatever the portal system is. And then they're just like, I can't get it to work. So, and then the parents are like, I don't know either. You know what I mean? And it's this troubleshooting and then lots of emailing to the teachers. So um, to kind of uh, mitigate all that, just make sure that your tech itself is working out well. Yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite, like top two or three apps you're recommending for families right now? Um, So, I mean, it depends on what they're wanting, but uh, I really like, I thought mod math was really cool. It's like this Mm -hmm. online, it's like fake graph paper. And then you can write out, it's so cool. Um, You can write out your actual math on it. Um, And then there's also um, notability is a pretty good one for a lot of those kids who need to have their, um, like PDFs. Like, so if your teacher uploads like a PDF and you want to be able to like physically write on it, but it saves, you can go out of it and go back in it and it saves it. <laughs> Cause a lot of kids will find that if they leave something is done. It's gone. They just forget it. Um, and so that's just terrible. And like all their work. <laughs> yeah. So notability has been really good about that. Um, where you can just like, you know, it's like Google docs essentially. Um, but I think trying to make things as easy as possible, you know, some kids were taking pictures with their phone and, um, you know, there's different apps for that as well, but just trying to make it as slimline as possible is good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. How did you come up with the name for your business? Yeah. So, I waffled a lot. Um, and when I originally came out with uh, neuroplay brain training, it was because it was very heavy focused on neurofeedback, right? And it like fits super well. Um, and I was going to change it to something a little bit more generic, but um, neuroplay, like if you just Google it, like I come up like all over the place. So then I just kind of had to stay with the name neuroplay. Yeah. Um, so now it's just neuroplay academics. Okay. So you changed yeah. that a little. Okay. Neuroplay mm-hmm. academics. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. And so if people want to contact you, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Um, so the website is the easiest way. Um, and the, I mean, my phone number is like listed everywhere. Um, usually uh, schools have my phone number. So if you're contacting a specialist or anything like that at your school, they usually have my information as well. Or if you just Google Neuroplay, I literally pop up. So how did you get to school in London? Um, so we love England. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually out in Louisiana uh, for a few years. Um, as I said, I was a, a, an assistant psychologist. And so I used to do like literally eight hour days, five days a week of testing. Um, and they would like, we literally flew all over the country doing it. It was crazy. Um, and then I really wanted to get my master's and England had these very cool masters where you can get into neuroscience and neuropsychology, um, is very different and very accelerated. So, um, I went out there for that and my husband actually got his PhD from King's college too. So yeah, we would have stayed a lot longer if we could have, but, um, you know, we just felt like it was probably time to transition back and like start careers and things like that. 
Yeah. How did you end up in the Bay Area? Um, well, I actually moved up for the neurofeedback job and then um, six, six years ago, six plus years ago, um, nope, seven years ago. <laughs> and um, it uh, was fabulous. I loved it. I loved, um, you know, Palo Alto was really great. And then um, we were commuting from the East Bay. So that was a little crazy. Oh, uh, wow. And then we moved down to the South Bay and I love the vibe down here. It's yeah. much more mellow and like, um, you know, very family oriented. And yeah, so I really like it here. And um, my kids go to a, a school. Um, this year is a little bit different, but they typically go to a private school in Los Gatos. So yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Gosh, well, d have I missed like anything? Are there any like more important things that parents and families should know about you? No, no, that's good. This is awesome. You're like professional, <laughs> like reporter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I just, and I think it's great. I think your energy is awesome. And I think, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits in that like, we just kind of want to help families find the right avenue. Yeah. And I mean, that's like my goal and I do, you know, I do assessment and I do coaching myself. Um, and I'm in the process of growing a team and it's because there's so much, like I wasn't necessarily thinking I was going to do that, but there's so much need, you know, yes. and there's so much need and, um, and I know from working in the school system for such a long time, there it's hit and miss, you know, and it depends on so much. And I always hope that kids are going to get what they need, but a lot of times um, families do kind of have to supplement and, and it's like about getting the right therapies mm -hmm. in the most efficient way, you yeah. know? So that's kind of what I love to help families with is just like, you know, it's not about it could be, you could be the math, best math tutor in the world, but if it's not the best math, math tutor for your specific problem with your specific kid or your specific kid's personality, yes, then yeah. there could be a, you know, a mismatch and that's not going to work well, Absolutely. you know? So, so yeah. I really like to get to know other people in the area who are doing work with kids so that we can make a quicker match as fast as possible. Yeah. And it's like nice. And I will refer out to like different places as well, right? There's a lot of really good learning centers in the Bay area. And sometimes yeah. it's like families will be like, well, I want something in person or um, I want to go to a center or something. Right. And I'm like, well, these people are really great too. Like, right. why not? Why can't we all collaborate together? Oh, that's, um, a, that's, that's a good question. Are you guys doing work in person or is it all virtual right now? Like how is it right now? It's a hundred percent virtual and it will be until summer next year. Um, and so the thing that about that us is actually funny is that we used to do in-home. So we were a little bit different than most places because we would actually do in-home. So, and we actually worked at the schools as well. So, yeah. Are you doing any work at schools right now? Or well, is it we can't right? right just due to like the mandates and things like that but um yes I mean I do see kids during the school day during their like study period and even when um the kids go back to school we will be allowed to see them zoom with them online but normally we usually go in in person and yeah. see them at school so but right, right. Everything's a little different. The thing that's been cool though, I will say about Zoom in particular, I've had a lot of calls um, from parents who are like, 
well, how does it work? I'm not so sure that it's really going to be a fit for my kiddo. And I'm like, here's the thing with executive function coaching, it's almost better because now I get to only spend 30 minutes with your kiddo rather than, you know, an entire hour, which they may or may not have needed if we're just focusing on executive functions. Mm -hmm. But now I get to split that up. So you get to see me four days a week instead of just two one hour blocks. It's like so much better in so many different ways. Um, But I would say for us particularly, we have had 100% success with the online format, but it's one-to-one and our specialists, I mean, I will match personality. I will match whatever is going on with the kiddo. I get lots of different views on how the kiddo works from the teacher and from the parents. So that way, when I do match, it's you know, somebody who maybe has a behavioral background or, you know, for learning differences. Yeah. Whatever the fit is. Yep. So I think that is the common question about right now with the zoom and things like that. So, yeah, I have found actually that, um, doing some coaching on zoom is good. And, and I also realized like, Oh, I don't need to do like a whole hour at once with you. It's so much better if you can just break that up over, you know, a couple of sessions per week that are shorter, just to make sure that, you know, like having that accountability touch point is so important, but you also don't want to be like charging an arm and a leg for, um, for that, you know? So yeah, it's working out really well. Yeah. I like love it. Cause I'm, I'm pretty minimalist. Like if we don't have to just overkill it, cause I strongly believe that kids should have you know, less homework and much more specialties that they're doing. So if you're going to have homework, please go to, you know, you know, an after school math program or something that's going to help you excel in whatever area you want to be excelling in. So um, we want to help you get from point A to point B with your homework, but we mostly want to focus on, you know, how you're approaching your work, your test taking skills, what underlying cognitive um, kind of pieces are contributing to, you know, why is homework taking you three hours, right? Mm -hmm. All these different pieces to things. So that's kind of our role to troubleshoot that and to help you, um, you know, accelerate with your learning process. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, we'll say goodbye to our audience. And so everybody, Miss Lexi Burns, I didn't even say this at the beginning. So I'll do a little blurb at the beginning to introduce you, but Miss Lexi Burns, and um, she's amazing. And her uh, business is Neuroplay Academics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Neuroplay Academics. I love it. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me and just hold on the line, but we'll say goodbye to our audience now. All right. Okay, thanks, cool. audience. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Edu Switchboard podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at Jana at jplep.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, I'm here to help.